0: Great God in heaven, as we come to this point in our worship service, we have already sung songs to you declaring your glory, your fame. Lord, that you are our all in all, that you are everything in our lives. Lord, we've given of our tithes and our offerings, of our financial resources, and now we come to the point, Father, where we dedicate our hearts and our minds to your holy word. God, this precious Word that You have preserved for thousands of years and delivered unto us that we might be cut to the very heart to divide between soul and spirit and bone and marrow and joint. Lord, we pray that You do that this morning in spite of a foolish and pitiful pastor. Lord, we pray that You, Father, would speak. God, all of us are gathered here this morning not to hear What I have to say, God, we need all of us to hear from you and from your word. We need encouragement. And this is only capable by the power of your spirit working through your word. So, God, I ask that you would move me out of your way, that you would speak in spite of me, Lord, that your words would go forward this morning and they would find fertile soil in our hearts. God, that we would be repentant and humble to receive your word. God, and we would be willing to alter everything about our lives to be obedient to your word. Lord, would you accomplish this miracle by the power of your spirit this morning? God, we ask that you would do these things among us today. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to take it and turn with me. Once again, to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, feel free to take one off of the back of the pew in front of you and utilize that one. If you don't own a copy of God's Word for yourself, please feel free to take that copy that's in the back of the pew as our gift to you. We have plenty. We will refurbish. You can use a phone, a tablet. You can follow along on the screen accessing the Word of the Lord however it's most convenient for you. But however you are accessing, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together now at Matthew chapter 12, this week we will be beginning in verse 22 and reading through verse 37. After we have completed this reading, I will tell us this is the word of the Lord, and I encourage you to respond with the words, thanks be to God, if you feel so led. Let's look together now at Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. The word of the Lord says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of Vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words... You will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we continue in studying this passage, we're spending 12 weeks in the Gospel of Matthew looking at actions and teachings that Jesus shared with us during his lifetime and during his ministry. So this particular chapter in chapter 12, we already saw how the Pharisees accused Jesus of violating the Sabbath. And we learned last week Jesus was not violating the Sabbath, only the Pharisees added interpretation of the Sabbath laws. They had 39 categories for work. They had three to four categories underneath each one of those 39 categories describing exactly what work was and exactly how much you could do before you achieved the status of actually working On The Sabbath, they got so caught up in their added traditions that they missed the whole point behind the law. They missed that the point of the Sabbath is to prove that we're not self-sufficient. The reason that we take a rest is so that we can prove that God provides for us. It is not wholly and completely up to us to maintain our lives, to provide for our own sustenance. And when we rest and when we break, we prove that the Lord is faithful and that we trust that the Lord will be faithful. But they had taken it so far and added so many extra regulations. And we looked at how you and I are just as guilty of that same sin. You and I add so many extra traditions and extra restrictions and regulations to what God has taught us in his very word. And so it is our call to be faithful to God's word and not these extra traditions that we have added. Not these extra regulations that we have begun to live like the Pharisees and added to God's good and holy instruction. And so we move this week into Jesus being suggested as though he is in league with Satan himself. And what's, what's remarkable is this incredible parallel that you find between Matthew chapter 12 and Leviticus chapter 24. There's a few verses I'd like to share with us from Leviticus chapter 24. James, if you'll put those on the screen for us. In Leviticus chapter 24, both of these issues are dealt with in leviticus twenty four verses five through nine this is the section when Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees about the Sabbath. He says, "Have you not heard of what David did when he was on the run from Saul? He ate the bread of the presence. Jesus makes a direct reference to these verses the bread of the presence in verse twenty in verse five of chapter twenty four you shall take fine flour and then you shall set them in two piles and in six and six in a pile and boom there we go all right I was trying to follow along on the screen because I'm not there in my notes but here we are you shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf these are the loaves that you shall set them in two piles six in a pile on the table of pure gold before the Lord these are the loaves that David ate, that were restricted from being eaten. And Jesus points to this to say, listen, even though these laws are in place, even though these descriptions are there, the heart behind the law is what we are to follow and not necessarily every jot and tittle of extra laws that are added to this. He points them to what David did in a time of starvation and hunger on the run from Saul. But then, this week we study and we look at how Jesus is claimed to be in league with Beelzebub, And there's talk of what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And that's also in Leviticus chapter 24. Anyone who takes the name of the Lord in vain shall be put to death and stoned. Leviticus 24 verse 16. Look it up yourself if you want to. Boom, there it is. Hey, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death and all the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Look, even if you are traveling along with Israel and not a full-fledged Israelite, if you blaspheme the name of the Lord, you shall be put to death. And so here we have the Lord reiterating. What is taught in Leviticus chapter 24, and so many of us say, you know, what's, what's the point of reading the Old Testament? I, there's All those laws, what's the point of reading the book of Leviticus? Those laws don't even apply to us. But there's richness in understanding how Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and used the Old Testament that they misunderstood against them. And if we miss out on all of these details in the Old Testament, even in Leviticus, even amongst the Levitical law, we're missing depth and nuance to the New Testament scriptures. So I encourage you, dive into your Bible, read the Old Testament, see how Jesus draws the Old Testament out to prove that he's the fulfillment of these laws. He elaborates on what it means to blaspheme the name. He even gives an allowance for them to speak against the Son of Man, against himself, but not against the Holy Spirit. Now, There is a connection between these two chapters, okay? But I don't want you to go so far, and when you're making connections... To like realizing, oh, this is Leviticus 24. And then it's Matthew chapter 12. And 12 is half of 24. And 12 is a multiple of 3 and 4. And the 3's and the 4's and the 7's, when you put them together, there's special numbers. And these special numbers mean that Jesus is coming back on April 27th of 2021. Oh, the Spirit has spoken. And that's what's going to happen. Don't go into the numerology like too deep, okay? Don't, Don't look too far into it, okay? Yes, 12 is... Is half of 24, but when these things were written down, they didn't even have chapters and verse numbers, okay? We added those things later so that we could find our way through the Scriptures easier, all right? So it's not like Matthew sat down and went, hmm, in Leviticus chapter 24, Jesus speaks about these things, so I will add them in Matthew chapter 12, and somebody thousands of years from now is going to make this connection, and they're going to see when Jesus is coming back, and it's going to be amazing. That probably didn't happen, okay? All right? So, yes, read the Old Testament. Yes, see how Jesus draws these things out. But don't, don't go crazy, all right? Don't, don't be one of those people that, that goes crazy and, and drills down to the numbers like that. And you may think, oh, pastor, that's just ridiculous. People do that. People do this, okay? They're not hard to find. They're all over the place. Don't drill down that far, but see that there is a connection. So, Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew arranges these things on purpose to remind us of what's in Leviticus chapter 24 and he is accused of being in league with Beelzebub. He's accused of being in league with Satan and Jesus beautifully and eloquently pulls the rug out from under their argument. They have no room to stand. They don't know what to do with Jesus. And they've already tried to accuse Him of breaking the Sabbath and He put Him to shame. So now that He's casting out demons, they have nothing else. These people are following Jesus in droves and they have nothing else to stop This massive wave of people that are now following and believing in Jesus because over and over again he unstops the tongue of the dumb, those who can't speak. He opens the eyes of the blind. He allows there to be strength in the legs of the lame. And the Pharisees are infuriated by it because everybody sees and knows there is something special about Jesus and they have to undermine what's going on because there's just no way that this guy is the real Messiah. This is not what the Old Testament told us. They're so caught up in their own interpretation that they have no wiggle room and they end up crucifying Jesus. But for now, they say, I know what it is. I know. I've got it. It's, it's the devil. That's what it is. He's using the devil against the devil and he's casting out the demons and he, he's with Satan. Has anybody ever accused you of being with Satan? Listen, if nobody's ever accused you of being with Satan, I don't know that you've lived yet. I'm just saying there's just something special about somebody getting so angry at you that they say, you know what it is? It's you're of the devil. That's what you're. This is demonic. That's, that's what's going on. Pastor, I tell you what, you think you're doing good. You think you're doing the Lord's work, but you a demon. You are from Satan. And folks, if you hadn't been accused of that before in your life, Man, just get a little bit more involved in the church. I tell you, there's some wonderful, wonderful people in the church. And then there's those folks in the church, too. And Jesus loves and died for all of us, didn't he? It's great. That's their only response. That's literally what they've come down to. Well, um, you're the devil. I mean, that's, that's it. There's no sophisticated argument. So Jesus just very calmly explains to them, Hey, guys, uh, no army that's divided against itself is ever going to conquer anybody. No kingdom that's divided against itself is ever going to win anything. If I am in league with Satan and Satan sent these demons to possess people and I'm casting the demons out, then that means that Satan's divided against himself and he won't make any headway and there's nothing to worry about. So um, what's your point again? There's no way this is true. And then my favorite is that Jesus always adds this little tagline in there, right? Right. Like I I'm I've never had the courage to do what Jesus does because he adds this little line in there, Well, you know, if I am casting demons out by Beelzebub, who are your sons casting demons out by then? If I'm with the devil, then who are your sons with? And y'all that's that's some serious accusation in return on Jesus's part. I mean, Jesus has got some courage. You know what I mean? He He's in the midst of being scrutinized to the nth degree. And he has the nerve not just to answer and give a beautiful rebuttal, but then turn it on them and go, well, you know, clearly I'm not from Satan. But what about you? And what about your sons? If I'm not with the devil, maybe you are. Folks, that's in front of Hundreds of people walking with them, pressing in on them, excited that Jesus just opened this man's eyes and allowed him to be able to speak and cast out this demon. Jesus is not only casting out demons, he's doing it with one word. There were elaborate rituals that were written in extra-biblical old texts, all right? So these are not included in the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't even have a single reference to casting out a demon But there were extra-biblical things outside the Bible of rituals that they would use and holy water that they would throw and all these special incantations and chants that they would go through to try and cast out these demons and rings and emeralds and all this weird stuff that they would do. And they would take hours to do all this. And Jesus is just like, hey, demon, bye. And the demon's gone. I mean, the demons cower before Jesus It's so evident when He casts out demons that He is the Messiah that these Pharisees cannot handle it. And instead of seeing Jesus for who He is, they continuously have to come up with an excuse of why Jesus is not real. I keep coming back to that point because I wonder if that's maybe what you and I do with Jesus. We read the Scripture. We see the Old Testament. We see what Jesus is doing, but we keep finding ways... To prove to ourselves, maybe He's not real. Maybe this is not legitimate. Maybe this is just fundamental jargon. Maybe this is a backwoods understanding. Maybe this is not what educated people believe and understand. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The further you dig into Jesus, the further you lean in to trusting Jesus, the more you will find Him faithful and true. He is the one who flipped wisdom on its head. He made the wisdom of the wise foolishness that the wise might not be able to see Him through their own intellectual pursuits. Folks, you've got to find Jesus with your your heart. You you can't just look for Him and and study your way into Jesus. And these Pharisees are so caught up in their own studies and their own details, they miss Jesus altogether. And sometimes I, I think we do the same thing With God's Word. We're so caught up in studying God's Word and understanding God's Word. We miss the heart of our Savior completely. We're so caught up in in our own interpretations that we miss the love of our Savior and our Messiah who came to deliver us and give us freedom from sin. And we're so quick to cast the first stone and and offer condemnation and offer judgment and not give anybody the benefit of the doubt. We're so quick to pull that gun and shoot and pull the trigger instead of taking a breath and going, maybe God's at work here in a way that I don't quite get. The Pharisees didn't have the patience to do that. And then Jesus goes a step further and he says, not only does he accuse their sons of being in league with the devil in the same way that he was just accused of being in league with the devil but he also says you can make fun of me and you can make fun of the work that i'm doing but let me warn you of something and you should remember this from leviticus 12 i mean from leviticus 24 jesus says if you blaspheme the holy spirit it will not be forgiven folks that's heavy he says not in this age or in the age to come He said, look, you you can talk against me, but... The power that allows me to do what I'm doing is the Holy Spirit. And you're attributing to Satan what the Holy Spirit has done. And you know the law. There's no excuse. You're not ignorant. You have no reason to be making these accusations and accusing the devil of doing the Holy Spirit's work. And I just want you to understand, Pharisees, that if you attribute to Satan what the Holy Spirit is doing, it's called blasphemy. And blaspheming the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven folks he he lays it out there you keep doing what you're doing and you will suffer eternally not only in this age but the age to come and i know in a lot of circles we talk about the unforgivable sin this is it this is the one thing that is unforgivable to the lord And it's not exactly the same as the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees had all the knowledge that they needed. The Pharisees had full understanding of God's Word. They saw Jesus and saw Him working. And in all of that knowledge, they still rejected Christ and attributed the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. We can't put ourselves in that exact same circumstance. But what we can do is say that if we live our lives in a state of rejecting Jesus if we go to our deathbed in a state of rejecting Jesus and who He is and the salvation that He offers, the work that He has done through the Holy Spirit, if we say that is false and we say that is not true and we say that that does not apply to us, then we are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and we will stand before a holy and just God and He will say, did you accept my Son? Did you accept the work of my Spirit? Did you believe it as true? And we will have to say, I rejected it. Not once, not twice, but my entire life. The pattern of me living was a pattern of rejection of the things of you, Lord. And He will say, depart from me. I never knew you and there will be no forgiveness Offered. It's that heavy folks. That is the one and only unforgivable sin. It's the only thing that you can do. To never be forgiven or accepted by Christ. Is to reject him in this life. To reject what the Holy Spirit did in him and through him. And continued to do from his resurrection on to today and into the future. Folks, that's the unforgivable sin. But what I do want to talk about for just a moment this morning is a lot of people have come to the understanding of a tradition that existed in the past that suicide was the unforgivable sin. And I need you to hear me very clearly. If you're asleep, right now is the time to wake up. Suicide is absolutely terrible. It should never be condoned. It should never be encouraged. But what happened in the Middle Ages is so many people were dying of the Black Plague. They were taking their own life. And so the Catholic Church in that moment began to teach that if you take your own life, you don't have time to get absolution from that sin. You don't have time to go and confess to a priest what you've done and receive a penance and get forgiveness. They began to teach this because people were taking their own life in droves. And as they taught this, it began to be accepted and perpetuated over and over and over again. And the the teaching all stems from you have to go and see a priest and confess to the priest and be absolved of that sin or else you will not go to heaven. You will die with sin on you, a stain of sin upon you that cannot be washed away before you pass. And so you will stand before the Lord as a sinner and you will be condemned to eternal separation from God. Listen, suicide is self-murder. It is murder. Do you grasp the weight and the heaviness of murdering anyone? especially your own self. Suicide, self-murder is not the answer. And if you are struggling with that right now, it is not your answer or your escape. But I have to be truthful and honest with you. It is not the unforgivable sin. There are so many of us that may die before we have an opportunity to confess a single sin to the Lord that may still be a blemish on our record. But folks, I wasn't born when Jesus died on the cross. That was 2,000 some odd years ago. And His death on the cross was sufficient to cover all of my sins before ever one was committed. Before ever I was born, my sins were covered, and all I had to do was believe in Jesus. This doctrine of if you die with unconfessed sin, you go to hell is a lie from hell. If you believe in Jesus, all your sins are covered. You are justified, as Jason teaches us when he leads us in worship. We are freed from the penalty of sin the moment that we believe in Jesus, the moment we give our life to Him, the moment that you trust that He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that no man approaches the Father except through Him. You and I are justified, and it is just as if we had never sinned, but we will still sin throughout our lives. That justification applies to the posterior and to what comes ahead. So listen, the only unforgivable sin is rejecting Jesus Christ and being in a state of rejecting Jesus Christ when you die. And there are a lot of people who have suffered from mental illness, And due to their disease, due to the chemical imbalance in their brain, to the hormonal imbalance in their body, they have taken their life. And there have been people who have preached to them and told them, I'm so sorry, this is terrible, but your loved one is now in hell because people who commit suicide can't go to heaven. Folks, that could be the worst thing you could tell somebody suffering in that moment. Do not propagate that doctrine. It is is false. But by the same token, there is no pass that I am offering at this time for anyone who is struggling with the act of self-murder. Folks, if that thought has crept into your mind at any point, whether it's a chemical imbalance, a hormonal imbalance, or whether you're just in a deep depression that has led to despair, reach for help. You can call me. There are four or five different suicide hotlines. I will give you my cell number if you're struggling right now. 205. Write it down and you don't even have to be seen. 529-8395. That is my cell phone personally. You call me anytime and I will be there to walk with you and help you to step back from the ledge. You call our deacons. You call the church. You call the hotlines. There are people who love you and want you to stay alive. Don't give up the fight, whoever you are. It's not the answer. It is a sin and a grave sin. But it's not the unforgivable sin. There's a serious distinction that has to be made there. And we as a church have to understand it so we can minister to people properly. And God help us if we're the folks that walk up and try to tell somebody who's suffering with the loss of a loved one. Well, you know, it's just terrible. Not only did they commit suicide, but now they're rotting and burning in hell for all eternity. I just hate it. Because, you know, everybody that commits suicide goes to hell. God, help us if we are that insensitive. Do not tell people that. There are reasons that you may not understand. There are circumstances that I may not grasp and situations that are beyond our understanding on this side of heaven. And that leads me to our last point. The last thing that Jesus tells us is one of the most haunting things that I hear him say. We will be held accountable for every careless word. That doesn't mean you, you will go to hell for saying something stupid. If that were the case, I'd be driving the bus leading there, okay? I say stupid stuff all the time. My foot is almost like stuck in my throat. I almost need surgery to get my foot out of my mouth because I say so many dumb things. But I do have to give an account for all those dumb things that I have said. In some way, I have to stand before the Lord and be held accountable and judged for every careless word. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. Take every thought captive that we might honor God with what we think and what we say. Folks, let us not be those who are quick to condemn, who are quick to pass judgment, who are quick to offer words from our own personal traditions and doctrines that are harmful and hurtful to people. Let us not be those who are so caught up in our own delicate sensibilities that we say careless things about people because, oh, they said something that was inappropriate. Or that really hurt my feelings and now you go start the rumor mill because so and so says such and such about who and who and all this. We have to be accountable for those things. Whether you're the one who said the dumb thing to start or whether you're the one that started the rumor mill because the preacher said something really dumb. Listen, if you want to start a rumor every time the preacher says something really dumb, you're going to be a really busy person. Okay? I say a lot of dumb stuff. But i got to be accountable for that. And that has to guide my every thought and my every word, especially from this pulpit preaching to our congregation, us together. But it also applies to you. As much as it applies to me, it also applies to you. And what you say to that person who is hurting, what you say to that person who is struggling, to what you say to that person who's not in the moment matching up to what you deem as your tradition of Christianity, even though it's not in the word of the Lord, you got to be accountable for that one day. And so I encourage all of us to take every thought captive. Just as Paul writes. And remember when we speak, we will be held accountable for the words that we say. We will have to give an answer to the Lord for why we said what we said. By our words, we will be judged. And I I know that actions outweigh words, right? You know? Don't pay attention to what somebody says, what somebody does. Words still matter because there will be judgment based on our words as well. So, folks, I I just wanted to bring before you, based on the Scripture, what the unforgivable sin is. And I wanted to encourage us to love people and take every thought captive and guard every word that we say. That we might be a source of encouragement, building up that even when we offer correction and reproof, that it's done in love and gentleness and meekness and humility so that every word and every thought brings honor and glory to the Lord. Folks, maybe, maybe this applies to you today. Maybe you've been very loose, fast and loose with your words and your thoughts. Maybe you've been struggling with whether or not you wanted to take your own life. Maybe you're somebody who is in the process of committing the unforgivable sin of rejecting Jesus. Listen, there is only one way to be saved, and it is giving your life to Jesus the Christ. Whatever stands out to you this morning from the word of the Lord, I encourage you. In just a moment, Jason's going to come and lead us in a song. We're going to sing, and Jake and I will be down front, and we'll be ready to receive anybody. To pray with anybody. You can come and pray at these steps and leave your burden here at this altar. This doesn't mean anything other than you are committing to humble yourself before the Lord. And so I I would ask, as Jason sings, as you sing with him, as we sing together, respond to how the Holy Spirit is working and moving in this room. If that means joining the church, if that means coming and asking for prayer, if that means coming and praying at these steps Whatever it means for you. Maybe you just turn and pray where you are. Whatever that means for you, I encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us again and we'll begin that time of response. Would you bow with me? God, thank you that there is hope even for the hopeless. Thank you, Lord, that there is only one sin that is unforgivable and it is rejecting you. And I pray, Father, that if there is anybody in this room who is still in the process of rejecting you and the salvation you offer, would you touch their heart? Lord, would you draw them unto salvation? God, I also pray for those who have lost precious loved ones to the terrible tragedy of suicide. Lord, there are so many saints who have gone on through suicide through many difficult circumstances. God, I pray that you comfort those today who are experiencing that loss. Lord, who just hearing this sermon this morning was difficult for them because it made them relive it. Lord, give them extra strength and a double portion. God, forgive me where I'm fast and loose with my words. Father, forgive me where I say things I ought not, where I think things I ought not. Father, help us to take every word and every thought captive that we might bring more honor and glory to You. Father, I pray if there's anyone this morning who is struggling with the idea of suicide, that by Your Spirit and by Your hand You would stop them. That You would save their life. And that You would help them to save the lives of others. That You would use them in a powerful way To do great ministry in this world. To continue to allow us to borrow them on this side of heaven. That you might use them to further your kingdom and your glory and your honor. God, comfort them in their depression. Comfort them in their despair. Remind them there is hope and there is light. And it is you. Oh, Father, we need you. We ask that you would move during this time. We ask these things as humbly as we know how. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.